Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. This is the Kibasa King Sports Extravaganza. Hey, 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 Yakshamash. Come to you too, Rona. You know, really, I love your style. I love the way you edit things together. We welcome to the show Christian Leitner. Yeah, I'm proud of my heritage, and my mother used to make a lot of delicious meals capusta, funky, pierogi, all that good stuff. I put sour cream on everything, and um, so a lot of of, of Polish tradition there. Shamash, everybody. Welcome to the Kielbasa King Sports Extravaganza, of course. Brought to you by Bucky'sFifthQuarter.com. Make sure you guys go to Bucky'sFifthQuarter.com for all your Wisconsin Badgers news, notes. Our own Kurt Hogg is down in Chicago, or was down in, I should say, at least for Big Ten Basketball Media Days. Got a chance to uh, get some fine quotes. Make sure you check out his articles over on Bucky'sFifthQuarter.com along with Plenty of other news. Obviously, the biggest news with uh, on the recruiting front, at least, as the Badgers prepare to face the Purdue Boilermakers on Saturday, the news of four-star running back Antonio Williams decommitting from Wisconsin, his verbal pledge. Uh, looks like he is possibly headed to Columbus uh, and to become part of uh, the next class for Urban Meyer. So we'll we'll actually break that down. Give us about 14 minutes. Ben Wargle, BadgerNation.com, finishing up his statewide show inside Badger Nation, which you can find on the Big 920 in Milwaukee and 1310 WIBA uh, in Madison and the iHeartRadio Network, of course. Uh, Quick, cheap plug there, but he'll jump on in about 14 minutes. We'll also preview, uh, we'll be getting into this in just a minute, uh, Wisconsin-Purdue, talk about Nebraska and and the rest of the Big Ten, especially with some big games coming up this weekend that could definitely influence the Big Ten West Division. And then uh, after we d- get done talking with Ben, we'll talk. We'll obviously preview, go to the pro game. Melvin Gordon comes home to the state of Wisconsin to take on the Green Bay Packers, who are undefeated. Uh, some things left to be left to be desired with the offense, though. How can you complain really when they are undefeated so far? And the rest of the NFC North is the NFC North. Joining me today, of course, we got the Polish rifle, Scott Wisniewski. And Scotty, uh, and first off, guys, apologies on our end for not doing a show last week. That's on me. Uh, flu bug completely wiped out our family. Uh, and then uh, it was tough to get back uh, with, with catching up with the day job and other stuff. So that's on me. Uh, but, Scotty, it's uh, another week uh, and, uh, you know, another couple of victories for, when you look at it, the uh, the Badgers on Saturday with the last second field goal from Rafael Gaglianoni, and then the, the Packers take care of business uh, the day after. Yeah, yeah, great, uh, great win for the Packers. They needed win for the Badgers. You know, I still don't know what this season holds. I mean, I don't see them being a Big Ten champion. Um, you know, being able to beat Ohio State or Michigan State. Um, you know, the 
the injury to Clement and the uncertainty at the offensive line. And though I think he's played better than critics think, the up and down nature of Stave, you know, I'm just unsure of what this season uh, holds in store. And when we talk with Ben, obviously we'll talk about running backs uh, next season after Clement because uh, with the decommit, it kind of leaves the cupboard a little bit bare. And you know, I had tweeted out and sent something to my brother where I said, you know, if they're not careful, this team could, you know, end up being another Northwestern or worse yet, they could end up being Purdue. Um, maybe not so much this year, but, um, you know, Iowa's getting better, Minnesota's getting better. Um, Nebraska, your figure will get better just because they're a heritage program and a little bit more history as, as far as being a winning program than the Badgers. Not recent history, I'm just talking legendary history. The Badgers have to be careful. But this year is this year, and they got the win, a hard-fought win on the road in a very tough place to play um, after, by and large, giving away the Iowa game with the turnover of them. A game that the defense did everything they could um, to to win that game for them. So now they're one and one. Um, <clears throat> you look at the schedule coming up. Purdue's won probably the easiest game left on their schedule. Because um, again, Illinois is a little better. Again, a game they should win. Minnesota's better than they were last year. Northwestern is is a team that always seems to give the the Badgers fits. So of the divisional games in the Big Ten West, this is the one that should be the easiest. you got a 1-5 Purdue team, um, 0-2 in conference, and, uh, boy, they're, they're a team that's that's been struggling for a few years now, and, and uh, it should be a game that the Badgers go in and win. But before we get into that, out of the Nebraska game, what did you see that impressed you the most? Uh, I mean, you know, obviously the, the stick-to-itiveness and the, the desire to not lose that game stands out. It was a great team effort. But of all the things you saw, what was the standout and what was the takeaway from that game? I think the resiliency and the but the resiliency of the team, obviously you're on a, no matter how mediocre you have a Nebraska program, which, you know, you talk about prestige, obviously they're the – quintessential in terms of uh, just based off of their uh, the precedent they've set in the past. And, and uh, it was a tough setting to go into. Uh, and, and, and so you got to give them a, a lot of props for, for that. Uh, I think the fact that they, they accumulated they, almost 500 yards of offense and mm-hmm. over 300 yards of passing there, obviously Stave, he completed less than 50% of his passes, but when you're forced to, Past 50 times in a game that uh, you know out of Wisconsin that he scratched some heads there, but uh, but he and also on top of that he didn't get much help from the wide receivers at times where you saw multiple drops that could have really been uh, it could have helped out further. Uh, mm-hmm. But that but I, I have to say and I'm taking a look at this and you look at Wisconsin's I think the last five drives and starting at 3:01 left in the third quarter. The simple fact that was it four of their last five drives essentially, uh, aside from yeah yeah four of the last five drives ended with points. It was three field goals and a touchdown, and the one that didn't go was that missed field goal with just over 90 seconds left in the game, or just about yeah about 90 seconds left in the game. So I think the resiliency there of of being stagnant for the better part of the game outside of 
the first drive where they missed the field goal in that touchdown in, in, in the second quarter. Uh, you're looking at the fact that uh, they fought back in that fourth quarter, and they say that you have to play a complete game. And obviously, and I think Nebraska played well. I think they played – they were the better team for a better part of the, the game, obviously. But then uh, you see the fact that they come in uh, with the Badgers and they they execute when they need to. The running game, I think, in that fourth quarter, late third, early fourth quarter, really helped out. You saw Daria Gumbawale go over for 100 yards again. You had Alex Erickson catch seven balls for 113 yards. And you had Save Thoreau go for three, over 300 yards. I think Arneel Olsen said it was actually the first time since 2006 that that was the first time you saw a, a, do, a combination of players do that. So I, I think it's a, I mean, I think that resiliency at the end and that, that rebounding of that offense and sticking it to Nebraska at that time, I think that's what really impressed me. Uh, and, and obviously Gaglianelli's kick in his atonement for the, the earlier one. Uh, so, yeah, it's, you look at the fact that uh, I think that, that was the most important. Anything, what would you take out of that victory? Well, the defense uh, had some good and some bad. I, I didn't like the fact that Nebraska was able to run for almost 200 yards on them. Um, now, granted, they had almost 40 carries to do it, but so it wasn't like it was a gaudy yards per carry average, but it was still five, almost five and a half yards per carry. Um, I know 55 of that came on one run, but nonetheless. But I did like the way they shut down Pearson L. I mean, everybody was talking about how he was going to be matchup problems for the Badgers and uh, Armstrong was going to target him and he was going to be a guy that they needed to stop, and they did. They held him to two catches uh, for 31 yards. A pretty pedestrian day. So so that was a little bit of good and a little bit of bad from the defense. Um, but, again, the defense certainly did a decent job. Not as well as they did against Iowa, where they really should have won that game. But but they did a, they did a decent enough job to hold the Cornhuskers Huskers down and allow the Badgers to, to get the, the victory as narrow as it was, and now they get to get some home cooking at Camp Randall this week. Absolutely, and you know, you mentioned. I mean, it, it's it's the one thing, and and we had a uh, I had to participate in a Q and A with our SB Nation cousins over at Hammer and Rails, and they asked what things that Purdue possibly could exploit. And the, you mentioned it with the rushing, uh, the the fact that they missed tackles, and on that 55 yard touchdown run by a fullback. Which, by the way, if uh, if you're looking at the simple fact of uh, the, uh, it's it's a. <laughs> You know, a fact that a fullback can get the 50-yard, five-yard touchdown run is is remarkable by itself. And and playing that position in high school, I, I gotta say it, 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 you feel good about. It. Regardless, it's a fullback running down, huffing, chuffing, you know, just getting down the, the the field like that. But it, you know, the fact that they missed a couple tackles on that play alone, uh, and against Alabama, they missed 17 of them. Against Hawaii, even they missed them. They shored it up pretty well against Iowa. But uh, the fact that this team's been susceptible to, to missed tackles, uh, you're looking at the fact, and, you know, the defense overall plays well. Obviously, Joe Schobert is playing out of his mind uh, and, and leads the nation in tackles for loss, uh, tied for second in sacks, as well as forced fumbles uh, with four there. But, yeah, I mean, this, this unit's solid. I don't, you know, heading into this Purdue game, and we're about – uh, we'll be now about 14 minutes away. I just got a text from Ben Morgel. Uh, so, uh, you know, Scotty, you and I can transition to, to another topic before we get back to Ben uh, if we want to uh, after I finish up real quick. But, uh, but yeah, so now uh, you're looking at the fact that, uh, you know, this team this team should have its way against Purdue. We'll talk more about with Ben in about 15 minutes now. But uh, Purdue is not 
good. I mean, one in five. Played tight with Michigan State. They played up to their opponent there. Uh, only lost 24-21. But then uh, against a stagnant Minnesota offense, they allow 41 points in a 41-13 defeat. I mean, it's it's tough times for Dara Hazel over there uh, in per, for Purdue. But I, I feel that you'll I, – I'm still with Dan Volts right now. He's likely to play the center. Obviously, he went out with a second-to-last uh, play of the game with that injury. And it appears like he's going to play. But that offensive line uh, – with Purdue being 110th in the nation in in rush defense uh, and not much better total defense, uh, you're looking at the fact that the Badgers, if Volts is healthy and enough to go and is effective enough, it's one thing to be playing. It's another thing to be effective while playing. Uh, the Badgers could have a huge run game because Purdue's defense gives up 215 yards on the ground. So the Badgers could actually really have a field day uh, if they can get Dare Gumbawale and Alec Ingold, who appears to be playing, uh, who uh, Tywin deals his status is still up in the air apparently, according to Coach uh, Chris earlier today. So, um, but yeah, no, it'll be interesting to see, uh, and we'll come, we'll get back to our predictions at the end of the day, uh, at the end of the hour uh, for sure, previewing Badgers and Packers uh, with what we normally do. But uh, you want to transition over real quick, Scotty, over to talk some pro game real quick. Uh, absolutely. Yes, absolutely. Uh, yeah, um, we'll, we'll trans. Like I said, guys, about 13 minutes. We'll have Ben Wargo, BadgerNation.com. We'll, we'll wrap this back around, and we'll talk some Badgers recruiting and also preview a little bit more Purdue. Uh, but Packers obviously come off a, a victory, a hard-fought victory, a, a two-touchdown victory over the St. Louis Rams and uh, in, in a slew of former Badgers on that front with Nick Toon, Robbie Havenstein, and Lance Kendricks all on that squad. Um, that was a... That was the yeah. game that the Packers did everything they could to try to lose it. I mean, I thought it was going to be closer than it was, and theoretically it was when you look at the stats. I mean, the score is what matters the most, but you figure you take away the pick six and the missed field goals by St. Louis, and that's a one-point game. Um, they were ugly at times. Um, I think that forget about the two – I'm not worried about the two interceptions. That's not what bothers me. I mean, it happens. I'm worried about the amount of pressure, though they didn't necessarily sack Aaron Rodgers, the amount of pressure that the Rams were able to bring. I worry that Brian Bulaga may not be 100%. He's probably not. Hopefully he can get through this game and then have the bye week to get a little bit healthier. Um, I worry that Lacey's not finding holes because the line of scrimmage, they're not winning those lines. I, I worry that Nick Perry and B.J. Raji left that game injured, may or may not play this week. And, again, another week, another injury or two. Um, it seems to be the status quo for the Packers. Um, every team has injuries. Like I said, it's always bigger, important players, it seems, for the Packers. So um, not entirely sure what uh, 53 guys are going to have dressed for this game against San Diego. Another home game. Another game that I expect, and we'll do predictions later, to be closer uh, than what many people anticipate, even though I was wrong about the score on the Rams. I think it's going to be a similar type game. It's going to be nip and tuck. Um, but people are worried about the offense. Um, I'm wor- again, I'm worried about the pressure. I'm not worried about Aaron Rodgers. I'm really not yet entirely concerned with Lacey because I still think Lacey's feeling the effects of the injury he suffered um, back in the early part of the season, I, I think that he's playing through it. 
again, probably hoping to get to the bye, and, and same with Devontae Adams, who, though he was limited in practice today, if you have enough healthy bodies, maybe you sit him through the bye. You really got to come out of the bye with people ready to play. Uh, aside from, obviously, Corliss, who's going to be missing some time, and the guys who are out for the year, um, you know, like, obviously, Jordy Nelson and Sam Barrington. But other than the guys like that, you really need to get out of this bye week uh, coming up next week healthy and ready to rock because the, the second half of the season features a lot of road games, a little bit, a lot, a little bit, a lot of travel, um, traveling out to San Francisco, traveling out to Oakland, traveling out to Arizona, and some tough teams. Um, Dallas should be completely healthy by the time they play them, or at least almost completely healthy. Uh, you got Arizona on that schedule. Um, you got Denver in Denver. I forgot about that. Another travel day. You got a tough Carolina team. So you, you really got a schedule and, and circumstances that are going to be more conducive to this Packer team to be healthy and get some momentum in the second half or continue the momentum they built in the first half. But it's, it's a harder task to do if they don't get some of these bodies uh, healthy and ready to rock. Absolutely. And just got found out Ben Wargle is ready. So we're actually, uh, he's uh, in the queue right now. We'll come back to Packers, get him on talk real quick. Uh, and uh, we'll be back on and just give us about 90 seconds, folks. This is the Kielbasa King Sports Extravaganza brought to you by Bucky's Fifth Quarter. Welcome back to the Kielbasa King Sports Extravaganza brought to you by Bucky's Fifth Quarter. Make sure you guys find follow us on Twitter at B5Q, uh, of course, at Kielbasa Kings WI. And you can follow this man uh, at The Badger Nation. It's BadgerNation.com's Ben Wargle, fresh off Inside Badger Nation, which I will pub again on the Big 920 on 1310 WIBA here in Madison and the iHeartRadio Network. Uh, that's every Thursday at 7 p.m. And, uh, Ben, how's it going? How was the show? Hey, good buddy. Um, show went well. Uh, 7 8 after the Paul Chris show, we talked quite a bit about Wisconsin, Nebraska, quite a bit about Eric Burrell, and uh, quite a bit about the topic I feel we're going to be talking about uh, over the next couple of minutes here about Mr. Antonio Williams, the ex-ambassador to the University of Wisconsin. So, yeah, enjoy doing the show. 
Phil Dawson is going to be back next week, but uh, we've been doing it for in some form or capacity for four years now and really enjoy it. It's a good way for Wisconsin fans to get their daily knowledge after listening to the uh, Kielbasa Kings uh, podcast. Excellent. Excellent. Well, let, let, let's let's dive in with that then. Obviously, the, the huge news and what's been kind of, it seems like it's been brewing now for the past couple days with, uh, and, and it came to fruition yesterday with the, the decommitment of, like you mentioned, Antonio Williams, four-star running back, a, a player that you were very high on in your podcast uh, on, on, on BadgerNation.com. Uh, I guess the first question to ask is, what happened to this ambassador of the Wisconsin program that reaffirmed his commitment after the coaching change, goes and even you know rebuffs overtures from Alabama and from Georgia, where former running backs coach uh, Thomas Brown went. What changed from him being so, quote-unquote, in love with Wisconsin, I think that was one of his tweets that he had had, to decommitting, and now it looks like he's setting his sights on Columbus, Ohio. Yeah, Jake, that's that's the $64,000 question. What what exactly happened? And to be honest with you, I don't know, and, and no one knows. Um, I've talked to his old high school coach. I've talked to uh, friends. I've talked to people at Wisconsin. I've talked to uh, kids in his, in his uh, recruiting class who are close with him, and no one has gotten a straight answer. The only one that knows the real answer is Antonio Williams, and he is not talking uh, other than the tweet that he sent out uh, Wednesday afternoon about his decision to go into this, uh, this unofficial visit this weekend as, a, as an uncommitted prospect. And from everything I'm told, this is a done deal, that Williams either on Saturday – will give Ohio State his commitment and then announce it, or he will wait a couple of days and then announce it on Twitter. So, I mean, talk about a, a dramatic 180 here. I mean, this was a kid that just as recently as three weeks ago was talking about how solid he was to Wisconsin, how excited he was to enroll early in room with Kari Lyles, how the him and the other commits on the visit felt like they had known each other for years instead of just meeting each other for the first time, how – this group feels like they could be the group that brings a national championship to Wisconsin. And, and unfortunately for West, a lot of Wisconsin fans, they feel that it was just now all kind of a load of bull that this kid has been solidly committed to this program for 10 months. He's been the, the university's best advocate on social media with his, his tweets that are very, very pro-Wisconsin, even over-the-top pro-Wisconsin. And all of a sudden, in just a matter of, you know, a week and a couple of days, he has gone from the love to public enemy number one in in the eyes of a lot of Wisconsin fans. Yeah, again, um, I'll save the commentary for another time, but one of the reasons why sometimes I absolutely am driven nuts by the whole recruiting process. But the bigger picture is, with Williams being gone, when you look at the, the, the quote-unquote cupboard uh, as far as running backs, looking down the line, uh, what do the Badgers do here? I mean, obviously they've got players that can play next year that are currently on the team, but as far as from recruiting and, and new blood and different players come in, what what should Badger fans and, and the Badgers look to do? Uh, you're not going to replace a four-star commit or, or possible commit at this point in the game, but what do they do going forward with the running back position in the next season and beyond? 
Yeah, this is a tough spot for Wisconsin without question because this is a position that Wisconsin really didn't pay much attention to for the last 10 months because Antonio Williams was so solid to the university that Wisconsin didn't feel the need to go out and, and recruit other tailbacks. So really, in my opinion, Wisconsin's starting from square one or pretty close to that. I mean, you have a number of kids who Wisconsin monitored throughout the recruiting process. Um, guys like, you know, Trey Bryant is a kid that Wisconsin had on campus for an unofficial visit, you know, you know, not too long ago. He's currently committed to Kansas State. And that's the thing with a lot of these kids. A lot of these kids that they're going to be looking at are committed to other programs because Wisconsin never moved on them or never showed much interest. So, you know, I've heard, too, that Wisconsin could look at, you know, a couple of the kids that are decommitted from Ohio State. But, again, these aren't relationships that Wisconsin has with these kids. They'd be jumping in blind while mm -hmm. other schools have many, many, many weeks uh, head start on them. So it's going to be interesting to see what exactly the direction Wisconsin goes because the Badgers like to take a tailback every recruiting cycle because of the importance of the position. You look at the position in 2016, you would assume Corey Clements will be back in some yep. form or fashion uh, going into his senior year. Um, Beyond that, you're going to have Dario Gumbawale, who will be a senior. I think he has shown um, some good things the last couple of games, but certainly he's not a number one tailback in the normal year. I think Taiwan Deal is slowly learning the position, but it sounds like he's going to miss his second straight game. And then you have a kid named Bradwick Shaw, who I think could be a very solid player for this university. I just did a story on him that's up on, on BadgerNation.com today talking about kind of the growth that he's gone through this year. This is a very talented kid from Hoover, Alabama, who played on a team that won three straight state championships and didn't fumble, didn't lose a fumble in three years. So certainly a kid that has the intangibles and a kid that also had a number of SEC offers, including one from Alabama at one point. So the, the cupboard is, is not stocked full of talent, but there's some good – recipes in there that Wisconsin could turn into a pretty good dish. But, you know, look at the last two years, guys. You lose Jordan Stevenson because of academics, and now you lose Antonio Williams for, I would label it as a bizarre reason, because I don't think there's one thing that happened from the Wisconsin standpoint that would push them to decommit. Now, I know a lot of people will make, you know, comparisons to that anti-Joel Stavi tweet that happened after the Iowa game. I've been assured by people at Wisconsin that, that while that tweet was disappointing, they didn't tell him to, you know, shove off or anything like that. They still really, really wanted this kid. And for whatever reason, that was kind of maybe, you know, the lighting of the fuse. And certainly on Wednesday was the big explosion with Williams officially announcing that he is no longer considering himself a commit to Wisconsin. And we're here yeah, with... And, and Oh, go ahead, Beth. Oh, go ahead, Scott. One, one, one follow-up to this, and, and it's far-fetched. I'm just going to float it out there because somebody who I actually believe is credible and usually has better sense actually floated this idea out. He's a media member, so I won't name him. But um, he said that if he were running this program, he would talk uh, Clement into redshirting and not playing the rest of the year, which I think is foolish because he might not be back this week, but he should be back anytime soon. Um, just to kind of keep the, the extra year and, and that sort of thing. Obviously, there's no chance of that, but, what, what, I mean, what do you think of foolishness that sometimes gets floated around by people that are supposed to be in the know? I think Corey Clements 
as soon as he's ready to play, Wisconsin needs him to play. Now, and I'm saying that based on what happened last week. Wisconsin won a critical game in the Big Ten West. They are still in this race, gentlemen. If they would drop to 0-2 and be really three games behind Iowa in the standings with uh, with four to go, then you might think, okay, you know, they're not going to win the West. Maybe it's best for Corey to redshirt, try to get the medical redshirt and come back for an extra year. But even if that was the case, there's no guarantee Corey would stay two years. Say he has a giant year right. in 2016, knowing that the shelf life of a of a running back in the NFL is small and knowing that he's been through a year where he lost it because of injury. You know, if I'm Corey, I'm gone if I redshirt this year and I go next year. So it, saying that he's saying that redshirt's the best situation for him, there's no guarantee that he's going to stay around two years into 2017. So, you know, Paul Chris would not rule out Corey Clement this week. I'd be surprised, very surprised if he played. But I think we're going to see Corey within the next two weeks, and then you're going to have a, a guy that's that's fresh for the stretch run and certainly very, very motivated and very talented when you play your toughest games remaining on your Big Ten schedule. Here with Ben Wargle from BadgerNation.com. Of course, follow him at the Badger Nation on Twitter, and of course, listen to Inside Badger Nation every Thursday, 7 p.m. Uh, on iHeartRadio and, and the affiliated stations there. And uh, one more question before we uh, about recruiting before we we kind of dive into just real quick some Purdue some Purdue thoughts uh, this week with Williams decommitting. Uh, have you gotten a sense of any of uh, any ripple effects, any dominoes that start to fall where? Uh, from what you you've made it sound like that a lot of the the fellow commits the verbal commits were almost taken aback that he didn't give them a straight answer at all. Do you see any other commits possibly wavering now because Williams, who is you know among the the best uh, prep backs in the nation, uh, him now backing out of his verbal pledge? No, I don't. I mean. As good as Antonio Williams is, he's just one piece of a very big puzzle. I mean, there's still 20 other kids committed to this class who are very, very good. I mean, you look at all the different recruiting sites, including ours at at scout.com and badgernation.com, there's a lot of four-star kids in this class. I mean, you know, Eric Burrell, Patrick Castle, Garrett Rand, um, Cole Van Lannan. I mean, I'm, I'm sure I'm missing a handful of kids, but... You know, a lot of a lot of different sites have kids ranked four stars at Wisconsin. If you if you clump all the sites together, there's a lot of talent, high-rated talent in this class. And while Antonio Williams may have you know ticked off a couple of his friends in this class by you know all of a sudden pulling a 180, I don't see any other kid decommitting from the school or looking at other schools because one kid decided that Wisconsin was no longer the place for him. Certainly, if, if that happens, I would think that Wisconsin would not want these kids. You want kids that are dedicated to the program and to the direction of the program and not so much one player in the class. Now, make no mistake, Antonio Williams was a great ambassador for Wisconsin. He was very active, reaching out to uncommitted kids, telling them to come to Wisconsin. So maybe that would make someone scratch their head a little bit. But I would be very, very surprised that over the next three and a half months before National Sign Day, you had other kids decommit 
pointing to the reason of why they decommitted as Antonio Williams no longer being a part of this of the school of this class. Oh, oh and real quick, Ben, before as, as a quick follow up as well, talk about Eric Burrell, three star, three star safety according to Scout.com. Obviously, a big pickup for them earlier this week before the dominoes really started like uh, falling on that end. Uh, what do you see out of him, and where do you project him to be with the Badgers' defense? Yeah, the the forgotten player this week with all the Antonio Williams news. I, I'm a big fan of Eric Burrell. I know he's rated four stars on some other sites. We had him as a high three-star um, for a couple reasons. I'll get into that in a minute. But here's a kid that really caught uh, my eye and, and our East Coast recruiting guy's eye. Uh, at, at wide receiver, and certainly developed into a, a very talented safety who can come up and run coverage, is physical, um, has a lot of good ball skills that translates you know, to the safety spot because of that wide receiver background. We have him rated as a three-star for a couple reasons. One, we don't give out you know four and five stars to just anybody. We're very selective of who we deem are the best of the best in high school football, and and Eric Burrell, his biggest shortcomings right now, his instincts are, are not quite um, at a four-star level in some situations. And he's not – he struggles a little bit of one-on-one coverage. He's not asked to do a lot of it at his school, uh, McDonough High School out in Maryland. But other than that, I mean, these are all things that as he gets to Wisconsin, as, as he gets reps, as he works with Durante Jones, these are all things that he can easily get better at. And I can see this guy – playing, you know, many, many years at Wisconsin. And this was kind of a surprising pickup because Burrell had told me on a number of occasions that he wanted to take all five official visits. He visited Nebraska in September. Obviously, he visited uh, Wisconsin for the Iowa game. And then he also wanted to see Duke, Syracuse, and Boston College. But after that weekend he had in Wisconsin, the results of the game aside, he knew that Wisconsin was the place he wanted to go, and it was such a perfect fit for him. Everything about it was, you know, fantastic from the atmosphere to the city to the people to the facilities to the players. That You know, Wisconsin viewed Eric Burrell as their number one defensive back on their recruiting board. And anytime you can get their number one DB or your number one player at any position, that's a big score for the for the program. Now, as we look ahead to this Purdue game, and there's a couple of teams. First of all, I think every game on the schedule is winnable. This is one of those that I think they absolutely have to win. Now, this is a typical Purdue. They throw the ball about 40 times a game, uh, 11 interceptions they've already thrown. I think the best athlete offensively on this team is Markel Jones, um, but he doesn't really get as many touches as you would think for a guy as athletic as him. But when you look at this Purdue team, um, again, I don't want to dis- dismiss them and diminish, diminish anything they've done, and I know that Paul Christ isn't doing this, but I guess I can because I'm not a player or a coach, but this Purdue team doesn't look very good. Yeah, they're not. Um, I mean, you look at their record, they're 1-5. Um, they've, they've lost some games that easily could have been winnable, you know, the game against Marshall and Boston and, and then Bowling Green earlier in the year, that they those games easily they could have won. They gave Michigan State uh, a good test a couple weeks ago. They lose by three East Lansing, so you think that that could be a, a good momentum boost for them, and then they come up the next week and they lay an egg against a, a Minnesota team that's really bad offensively, and Minnesota put 40-plus up on the board against them. I look at Purdue. I see some playmakers. I see some guys that can do some really good things. 
that when that offense is clicking on all cylinders, they can be an explosive offense. The problem is, guys, they haven't really clicked, at least at a consistent level. So, you know, you look at the series, too. Wisconsin has just owned Purdue for the last nine years. They're winning by an average of 23-plus a game. In the last nine wins, only one has been by, you know, less than 10 points. That was the dramatic victory in West Lafayette when Scott Starks uh, recovered that Kyle Lorton fumble and returned it. I think they won 20-17 to 17 in that game. So this has been a series that's been dominated by Wisconsin, and it's been dominated by the running game. In the last seven meetings, Wisconsin has had nine players go over 100 yards, and once again, Purdue stinks against the run. They're allowing over 215 yards a game on the ground. That's worse than the Big Ten. With Wisconsin starting to get some momentum in the running game, starting to get some consistency in the offensive line, I mean, it looks like they could start the, the same five in back-to-back weeks, which is, like, shocking. That's like seeing Haley's comments this season for the Badgers. This, this should be a game that Wisconsin, especially with their defense, they should put up a big win uh, on Saturday. Ben, as always, it's great having you on the show. Uh, before we let you go, what's what's going on with BadgerNation.com coming up this week? Well, we have our, uh, not to rival you guys, but we have our Friday podcast coming up on the site tomorrow talking about <laughs> uh, this matchup for Wisconsin-Purdue, get into a little recruiting news as well. Uh, that's always 100% free. We'll have our breakdowns of Purdue and full coverage uh, this weekend before, during, and after. 90% of our stuff on the website is 100% free. It's a complete 180 of what we've done in past years. So if you want uh, some good Badger coverage, some off-beat Badger coverage, uh, stuff that you can't read in the State Journal, the Journal Sentinel, log on to BadgerNation.com. Yep, and I'll, I'll, I'll get an article up, boss, I promise, this weekend for sure. Uh, and, yeah, uh, appreciate- yeah, I've heard that before. Okay, well, I was at I was at a wedding last week, and that kind of got out of hand. I'm a I'm a dancing legend uh, with the family that that I attended the wedding with. So, uh, any yeah, any friend any friend who who schedules a wedding during football season is not really a friend. That's all I'm gonna say. <laughs> uh, but guess who is a friend? You, my friend, uh, are and, and yeah. Ben. Thank thank you again, and uh, looking forward to talking this weekend. And uh, enjoy the press box swaying back and forth at the end of the third quarter. I'll never decommit from you guys. Have a great weekend. <laughs> Thanks, Ben. Ben Wargle, BadgerNation.com. Uh, of course, his show, Inside Badger Nation, again, Thursdays at 7 p.m., follows the Paul Chris show on iHeartRadio, WIBA 1310 here in Madison, along with the Big 920 in Milwaukee. Uh, and that's always fun. So uh, let's take a quick break. We'll come back, talk more Packers, NFL, wrap it up here on Bucky's Fifth Quarter and the Kielbasa Kings Sports Extravaganza. Welcome back, guys. Of course, 
always great having Ben Wargle on the show. I get I get to do some uh, guest writing here and there. Uh, for I volunteer to do that for game days uh, to have some fun with that and uh, hone my writing skills for a certain project that's starting to take off a little bit. So, uh, but yeah, great having Ben Wargle on the show. Make sure, like I said, follow him at at the Badger Nation and check out BadgerNation.com. A lot of the stuff that they're doing at Scout.com is a lot of fun. So, uh, transitioning now back to the pro game, we talked, we dabbled yeah. a little bit with the the Packers, obviously, and talked about their schedule. And talked about the game yeah, against St. Talk, Louis uh, and the injuries. Yeah, I want to talk about this game a little bit. And then I want to talk some uh, after that. If, it's kind of calling an audible here. But I think we'd be remiss if we didn't talk a little bit about the postseason in Major League Baseball. Because it's been pretty intense, pretty epic so far early on. So, um, But let's stick with the Packers at first. And we talked about it now, the, the 330 game or the 325 game uh, this Sunday Again, a game I expect them to win, but, you know, they're going to have to stop Gates. They're going to have to stop uh, Keenan Allen, Phillip Rivers. However, the defense has been uh, pretty impressive lately. Yeah, and and it's, uh, you know, with, with the with – the, it, it's interesting to see with uh, with how this team's playing and, and with everything going forth. I, I mean, you got to – I don't know. Like, I'm – I'm excited to see the game. Like I'll be honest with you, like I haven't gotten a chance to watch as many Packer games as uh, as I would like in between all the the traveling we've done. But you know, it, it's nice to see, and obviously, it's it's been good for the you know it's been good for the Packers. And and I, I don't know what what are your thoughts, Scotty, on what's going forward with uh, what you're seeing with this team, and 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 like you said, what, what you mentioned earlier. Well, I think it's 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 nice to know that. The defense isn't the the stepsisters of the poor like they've been. And I think all of that starts. And if you remember, we talked about this when we did the the, the preseason preview of the Packers. I said that the the, way, the only way the defense the way the defense gets better and the only way that it's not a liability is they need to get pressure on the quarterback. And they've done that. And they've done that consistently. They've done that in every game, even if they don't get sacks. In some games, they've had as many as six sacks. But they're putting pressure on quarterbacks, which is helping their young secondary. And again, it's making the defense. Are they are they the 1985 Bears? No. Are they the Seattle Seahawks from two years ago? No. Are they a good defense now? Yes. Yes, I think they're a good defense. And I think when you mirror that with Aaron Rodgers, the best quarterback in the game, um, you've got a team that has a shot, barring. Con- the, the, barring injuries further than what they've already had to suffer, this is a team that can go pretty far, pretty deep, and do some things that are uh, that could be special. But then I get the it's five and zero. Oh, they're five and zero. Oh. You know, while five and zero oh almost gives them a, uh, guarantees them a shot at the playoffs, it doesn't give them a Super Bowl win, especially when you consider there's four other teams that are also undefeated. So obviously, all five of those teams can't win a Super Bowl. Um, but let me ask you this: a more okay. broader question. When you look right. at the teams that are, un, uh, you look at the undefeated teams that are out there. Um, out of the five teams, Packers, Broncos, uh, Cincinnati, um, New England, you look at the teams that are un, at, in Atlanta. I'm sorry, who is playing tonight? Um, you look at those teams. Who are those teams is the most legit, and who are those five teams? 
this is a team that you would be very surprised if they were playing um, in Northern California in February for a Super Bowl. I mean, I think you start off the most legit. I, I almost say it's a tie between the Packers and the Patriots. Obviously, you mm-hmm. see what the Patriots have done and, and the fact that how they've won. Uh, you know, they go into Buffalo and Buffalo's all hyped up and, and they decimate a very good Bills defense. Uh, embarrassed them. Maybe it's even a better word I could put if I if I can get away with a hint of hyperbole there. Uh, so I was thinking the Patriots, but also the Packers. The fact that you go in there and they face a tough schedule uh, in terms of uh, you go on the road against San Francisco, you face Seattle. Granted, that's at home. Uh, I, I think, and they've gone up against some good backs. I think that's you know you mentioned the, the fact of the defense, and and uh, I apologize for my lack of an answer the the, the last one you asked, but the, the, with the defense and, and obviously having a, a bad day against Matt Forte to start off, but you, you hold you hold down Marshawn Lynch and you hold down uh, a guy like Carlos Hyde and Jam, you know Jamal Charles for the most part on on, on that Monday night game. Uh, I, I really feel that. Uh, that you mentioned that defense has stepped up now. Uh, they helped win that game, especially that pick six by Quentin Rollins, uh, really helped. And it, the defense is starting to complement that that offense a little. It's kind of it's kind of a weird thing, I'd say. Like throwing off like the Packers, their defense helped save the game essentially against the Rams. Sort of like how the Badgers' offense helped themselves against the Nebraska defense against Nebraska when that defense faltered in that one second. So, uh, kind of reversed for uh, roles there for for the strengths of each team this past week. But the Packers obviously they look apart. And here's the funny part too. I mean, like you mentioned, they could have lost the game. They they did everything in their part possibly to lose. Rodgers having three turnovers, uh, offense being stagnant at times against a, a good Rams defense. Give them credit there, but. Uh, the fact that they didn't play their best game and they still won by two touchdowns is, is a telling fact of of the potential of this team. And if uh, they can get that offense just a little bit more in sync uh, that you know Aaron Rodgers can do, I would say, I mean, I'd say them and the Patriots would be the most, uh, they're, they're the most lauded, they're the most, uh, I'd say, ready for that, where you, or the most predictable to wind up there. In terms of the other teams, you're looking at the fact that Falcons, uh, I like. I mean, obviously, the new head coach is doing wonders down there, but um, I, it's it's hard. I mean, I would say the Broncos are the, would be the, possibly the next step up, uh, you know. But Bengals and uh, yeah, yeah, is it Bengals and it Falcons? I'm a little weary on. Just uh, is it Andy Dalton's time? Is it his time to shine down there in Cincinnati? And obviously, we've had Kevin Seitler on the show uh, a couple years back, and and he's always great to talk with, but. Uh, the Falcons, I don't know if I can, I mean, obviously they've, they are doing things down there. Uh, they have a plus 50 point differential, uh, which is quite impressive there, uh, which is third best in, in the conference, uh, and fourth best overall in, in, and so they're putting up the points and the defense, uh, doing pretty well for themselves, but, you know, and at least a little improved, uh, but, I don't know. I'm still skeptical, uh, and obviously, just the the history behind the Falcons uh, in the past few years with not living up to uh, their standing, especially in that uh, you know the year the Packers won. Uh, I'd say maybe Falcons. I would be a little bit more weary about. What about you? Yeah, you know, I think I'm uh, the Cincinnati is a team that I'm weary about for this simple reason. I don't. They had a good regular season last year. 
I don't necessarily see that they've made leaps and bounds improvements from last year's team to this year's team. That being said, until Andy Dalton wins a playoff game, I can't see them being in the Super Bowl. You, you know what I mean? Like, I mean, there's still something to be said about that. I mean, that was a knock on Tony Romo for years and years and years. And he had to win a playoff game to shake that. But, but there is something to be said about that. We, you know, I know that a lot of sports purists, you know, people who follow baseball, there's no such thing as clutch hitting. People who follow football are like, well, what's the difference? A game's a game. But there is because it's a mental thing. It's, an, it's, it's a way you, you get rattled or don't get rattled. Um, not to get too sidetracked, but in baseball, they go, oh, what, does he try to hit the ball harder? You know what? Sometimes guys who don't hit well in the clutch do try to hit the ball harder. And let me tell you something, Jake, that doesn't work. You know what I mean? Like the ability to relax, the ability to let the game slow down, the ability to let the game come to you, that's what makes the difference between great players and elite players. Andy Dalton is having a great start to the year. Some people are even throwing around the three letters, MVP, MVP, MVP. But until he wins a postseason game, fair or not fair, that's what's going to hover over his head. So until he does, long answer to a short question, Cincinnati's the team that I'm the most leery about. And then moving forward, obviously, uh, with, with the Packers, what are your keys to the game against going up against uh, the Chargers? Obviously, Melvin Gordon, that running game. Melvin Gordon hasn't had a breakout year uh, in, the, in the least. Obviously, I, from judging from I've tried to watch a little bit with the NFL Sunday ticket I have because of uh, DirecTV, which I love, by the way. Uh, yeah. The fact with trying to watch it, that you see a lot with Melvin Gordon, the fact that he is – be splitting time with Danny Woodhead one, who kind of fits that offense, I think maybe right now a little bit better, just because of the fact that they, they go a lot of shot. From what I've seen, a lot of shotgun, uh, you know, and it's more pass happy with with going to Gates and Keenan Allen uh, from mm-hmm. Philip Rivers. But uh, I don't think he hasn't got much a chance to shine. But he's shown that he can break a, a run or two. Uh, when 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 he can, but uh, what's what's what are the keys to to this game for the, the Packers? The the keys are this: with a banged up offensive line that that San Diego has, they have to do three things. One, they have to continue to get pressure on quarterback on Philip Rivers in this case. They need to continue to do that. They need to run the ball a little more effectively than they have the last few weeks, and they need to not turn the ball over. I don't expect that you'll see a handful of turnovers like you did last week. If they do those three things, they'll be fine. Um, again, not to dismiss, you know, I think it'll be close. I think 31-23, you know, maybe a late touchdown by San Diego would make it interesting. I think the Packers win. I don't think they blow out San Diego. But I think if they effectively run the ball and they get pressure on Phillip Rivers, I think they win the game. And, and with that, um any other games on the NFL schedule that you are uh, excited for coming up? Obviously, uh, the Packers get that nice uh, – I mean, right now there's a pretty key matchup right now with Atlanta and New Orleans taking place, but you also have coming up uh, New England and Indianapolis uh, on Sunday night will be interesting. Um, a game last year would have been fun. Would have, would have been Baltimore and San Francisco with the Battle of the Harbaugh's that no longer takes place. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But uh, Arizona and, and Pittsburgh, 
uh, is an intriguing matchup there. Seeing uh, and Arizona is an intriguing team at four and one, uh, but. I don't know anything else on that slate that really uh, Carolina Seattle uh, would be. Yeah, Car- yeah, maybe, yeah, maybe Carolina Seattle. Let me. There's there's some good games, and I'll be interested. But I'll be even more interested in the AL and NLCS, which will be going on uh, Saturday and Sunday and Friday. Um, let's talk real quick about postseason baseball while we have about nine minutes left. Uh, Kansas City beating Houston, coming back from a, a three-one deficit or sorry, two-one deficit, was. Uh, Big, interesting. The seventh inning of that game yesterday, uh, Toronto, Texas, I don't know how much of that you caught or what you saw in the highlights. It was very, very um, historic, epic, from the the weird throw to the three errors to the Jose Bautista bat flip. So um, so I I think – and then, of course, the Cubs – fulfilling the back-to-the-future prediction so far and uh, moving on and beating St. Louis uh, in a absolute show of power and force by that young Cubs lineup. And then, of course, you have a deciding game going on right now, the Mets-Dodgers playing in the fifth inning tied at two. Uh, one team left, one slot left in the final four. Any observation so far of the baseball postseason? If you think about it, you got some interesting market sizes in there. You got Toronto, which is a Canadian market. You've got Kansas City, which is a small market. But then you're going to have on the National League side, Chicago against either LA or New York. So it's like you got the big boppers in the National League, and the Cubs obviously a national team. The Dodgers are a national team, and then you've got quiet little Toronto and Kansas City on the American League side. So polar opposites when you talk about. Um, Legendary teams, historic teams, nationwide fan bases, and things of that nature. But uh, any thoughts that you've had so far? Um, I obviously that game, and I, I didn't get a chance to watch all of it, but I had that uh, the opportunity to to at least see it on Twitter, but then also catch some of the highlights with the uh, with the Toronto game yesterday. I mean, that bat flip by Bautista was. Obviously, with the emotions set after that game, and I, I, I guess it's hard with the with an umpire not knowing the rules and then they go to review and they, they don't know the review, the rules, which I mean, we're all human. Let me just say that. So people that always kind of say so much and, 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 and try to, you know, like, Oh, they should know those. Yes, they should. It's their job, but they're, we're all human there. But uh, yeah, I, I, you know, it's good to see the Cubs in the, I'll say that it's good to see the Cubs beat the Cardinals because, you know, and, and see the kind of the, the way Joe Madden and, and Theo Epstein, how they've uh, molded this team and Epstein, obviously through years and, and, and bad years. Uh, and now you see the fruits of, of hit the labor of the, of the, uh, of the, you know, of the organization now taking root. And, uh, you know, aside from the fans of, of both sides, which, uh, at times can be intolerable. Uh, see uh, the you yeah. know most of the most of the time through the Miller Park uh, through up until maybe 2009-2010 uh, with with it becoming Wrigley Field North. I it's good to see the Cubs there. We'll see what they can do in the NLCS. Uh, but uh, you know with with I don't know. I'm, I'm excited. To, I'm just excited to see. It. I mean, obviously, I there's no I don't have a, a horse in it. To, to win it, uh, I'm just kind of sitting back and doing the whole journalism, rooting for the the story part. And I think maybe the I hate to say it, maybe the best part about it would be the Cubs with the Back to the Future 
coincidence and, and all the other things going on that uh, maybe it is the Cubs year. Maybe this is the time where, you know, they deserve it. I think it is. I think it is their year because I think they're going to be favored in the in the NLDS or uh, NLCS, I should say. Especially if they're playing, if they play LA and they don't have to face uh, Granky or Kershaw in Game One or Two. You know, that's huge. That's huge how you can set up that rotation that way. Um, I'll obviously my only rooting interest will be anybody but Yost. So I'll be obviously rooting for um, for the Toronto Blue Jays. Which breaks my heart that I got to root for a Canadian team for America's pastime, but ah, oh well, you know sometimes you have to make deals with the devil. So, um, so yeah, I, I think we're going to see the Cubs. I'm still going to say Cubs in Toronto, and then next, then I think the Cubs because the Cubs in Toronto both can smash the ball. The Cubs have better pitching, bar none. Um, the way Arietta's been pitching, the way Kendrick's been pitching, the way Lester's been pitching, they have better pitching. Right now, at this stage of the year, I think that whoever the Cubs play, they sh- even if they're not the higher seed and even if they're on the road for four out of seven, I think they're the favorite in every series going forward. So with that, we got about four minutes left. Predictions, I know you said that they'd win. They didn't think it would be a complete blowout. What's your numbers score for Packers-Chargers? Yeah, thir- I- I'll say 31-23, Packers win. I'll go. I'll, I'll say thirty-four. I'll say thirty-four twenty-one. I, I think the Packers uh, they do well. Uh, it, it may not look as complete as possible with, with that defense. I think it holds up. Uh, holds up uh, against uh, Antonio Gates, Philip Rivers, and, and, and Melvin Gordon. There, Packer or Badgers, Purdue. I'll go with my prediction thirty-one ten that I gave Hammer and Rails. I don't think uh, though. Volt appears likely to be playing. Looking at the fact that uh, that that offensive line is getting a little better, but uh, it's still on its fourth combination of, of players uh, of starting offensive linemen. Uh, we'll see if the Badgers can actually get something going against a Purdue defense ranked 110th in the nation with giving up over 215 yards per game. I think the defense holds its own against Purdue, who only really has maybe one player at running back uh, who. Uh, could definitely do something against them, but outside of one playmaker, I I think the Badgers just grind it out. Uh, I think the defense holds up. It's thirty-one ten. What about you? I think twenty-eight seventeen. I think uh, they win, but uh, and decisively enough in the in the stats category. But um, an eleven point win, I think they they come away with and uh, get ready for a few more softies before they finish with the Minnesota Northwestern, those are the teams at the end of the year. But I think they're in a period of, of time here where they should be able to churn out some wins. And I think it starts this week with Purdue. Absolutely. They they play Purdue at home. They go uh, to Champaign-Urbana uh, next Saturday, take on the final Illini. Uh, then they come back on Halloween against Rutgers. Uh, and then uh, from there, Maryland. Maryland. Yeah, yep, Maryland. Yeah. Uh, and that Maryland. And then they uh, have a, a week off there, then they come back in northwestern Minnesota, and they possibly could have Corey Clement back. So uh, we'll see how that goes. Uh, anything else? Uh, we got about less than about uh, 90 seconds uh, before uh, we, we take it home. Yeah, you know, some thoughts real quick out to Lamar Odom and his family as he's fighting for his life. And, you know, people can be judgmental about, you know, how he was found and the condition he was found. Uh, a guy who grew up with a drug addict father who has fought some demons, who's gone through a very public personal life 
uh, being part of a reality circus with the Kardashians when he was married to Khloe Kardashian. Um, that's not easy to do. Some people like them who are media mongers who love to be all over the place, it's fine. But if you're not a public person and you're a little bit more private, I'm sure that wasn't easy. And I'll kind of roll that into my dupe of the week if what I hear is true. And, and they deserve to be dupes anyway, so I'm not going to take it back no matter what. But I heard that when the Kardashian clan came to see and visit Lamar Odom uh, to you know show their support for him, uh, they did it with a TV crew in hand. So shouldn't surprise anybody who uh, who watched these 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 trolls, these Kardashians who are basically famous for nothing. They're famous for nothing. And yet they can't get off my damn television. Wherever I turn around, there's Kardashians, and I don't get it. But anyway, not to get too sidetracked, uh, hope uh, hope for recovery for Lamar Odom and hope that when he does recover, if he does recover, he can change his life around and get everything back on track. So that's all I got. Gotcha. We'll take it home from there, guys. Tune in next week. We'll recap Badgers-Purdue, talk Packers-Chargers, look ahead to uh, Badgers matchup in Champaign-Urbana against the Fighting Illini. And from there, uh, hopefully talk more recruiting news and see what comes up for, for the Wisconsin Badgers. And uh, thanks, guys, for tuning in. Uh, follow us on Twitter at B5Q, at Kilbasa Kings WI. Follow Scotty at Scott Wisnusk to me, Jake Coco, K-O-C-O-B-5-Q. And we'll come back next week, guys. Uh, big thanks to Ben Wargle again, BadgerNation.com. Always fun having him on. And uh, make sure you guys check out BadgerNation.com again. And uh, we'll see you guys this weekend on Bucky's Fifth Quarter with the open threads, talking more Badgers. Uh, and uh, I'm sure a lot of you are hoping, of course, for that Wisconsin victory. So, you guys, take care. Dozo Bachenya. We'll see you next week. This has been the Kilbasa Kings Sports Extravaganza. Accordion solo, American polka, played by Mr. John J. Kimball, Edison Record. <laughs> Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.